Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right, 9 a.m. at both campuses. How are we doing today? Okay, you gave out a lot more during worship than you did right there, so stand up. That's what happens when you're not. I'm going to pray for you real quick. South Campus, I hope you're in a better place right now. For real, though, would you guys give it up? Put your hands together for our worship team for leading us so well today. Um, I'm so glad you're with us. My name is Bryant. I'm the lead pastor here. Let me give you a quick reminder, and then we are going to pray. Um, but next week is our big summer party. That's going to be at North Campus South. It's like 50 seconds, all right? Don't complain about the drive. North Campus, 12 to 2 next week. And there's going to be inflatables, um, food trucks, dunk tank. It's just going to be a lot of fun. And here's what I would tell you, even if it's not your thing, because I know it's going to be 110 degrees. But the one thing that kind of trumps our consumerism is our calling. And we don't plan events necessarily um, just to give you a good time. I mean, that's a part of it. As our church is growing, it's a great way to connect. But it's also a great way to invite and to invest. And as maybe insignificant as it seems, that one invite that's kind of non-threatening, just come hang out, enjoy some food trucks, have some fun, may be the crack that opens the door to an invitation that somebody receives to begin to follow Jesus eventually. And I'm telling you, we get those stories all the time. So I, I get it. It may not be your thing. But what is your thing is the calling to reach people in our city and engage our city with the message of the gospel. And this is one simple way to do that. So I'd love for you to invite um, just to have some fun. We're going to raffle a bunch of gift cards next week for those who invite and then the person who came with you. And so that's just extra incentive. And it's going to be a great time, North Campus 12 to 2. And I hope to see you there. All right. Okay. Um, Thanks, Isaiah. All right, we're going to dive into part three of this series. Every week, if you stay same service, same time as much as possible, you'll get the same mix of simulcast, live simulcast, which you're seeing at South Campus or um, live on stage. And I just constantly want to remind us that if we didn't have both campuses at optimal times right now, every week, even in the middle of the summer, you would not have a seat. And so it's really good that we're doing um, what we're doing and that the opposite campus every week is suffering in such a massive way way um, that you have to see me on screen right now. So glad you're doing it, but do not forget mission. Every single week we have people entering into a relationship with Jesus. And one of the big obstacles is not finding a seat. And so every week you're helping people um, have seats and we're creating room and God's moving and working through it, not just with numerical growth, but with literally stories of people's eternities being altered. And so that's why we're here. And over these next few minutes, I think God wants to work. So would you join me at both campuses, north and south? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this incredible movement known as the church. We thank you that when we show up around the message in the name of Jesus, incredible things happen. And I pray over these next few minutes that wherever we are, you would lead us into where you want us to be. And that's those who are in a place of not even sure that they believe. I pray that you would begin to rearrange their thinking about you. And there's maybe a lot of stuff that's gotten in the way. I pray that even in these moments, some of that would start to fall away. 
and that they would see you for who you are and what you're actually offering and inviting them into. And then for all of us, those who are on radio right now, those who are live streaming, podcasts, those physically in the rooms, God, we are here for a reason. And Lord, those who followed you for a long time, there's something that you want to say, and I pray that you would make us available to hear it and then to do it. And so, God, just do your thing in these moments. I don't overstate. We're praying for a move of God. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to do what we could never do on our own. And so I pray that you would speak right now. And we're asking this, we're believing this, and we're even expecting this because it's what you've invited us into. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. You can be seated at both campuses. So we're in part three of this series, and we're just answering this question, which is kind of obvious, this Enjoy Life series. And the question is, how do I enjoy life? Like, how does that happen? How do I get there? And honestly, the underlying question of, is that even what God wants from my life? Like, how do I enjoy life? And here's what we've said, if you haven't been here, that enjoyment and finding happiness is always more about who than it is about what. Like, if you find your enjoyment in what, it always inevitably leads to what else? Like, I got there, I got it, but what it, they did not deliver, and so what leads to what else? And you are always chasing something. The, the target is always moving. It's always about who in some fashion or another. And we've talked about this. If you've ever gone to a third world country and you look at people in huts who are smiling and at some level have found enjoyment of life, you go, what, what are you enjoying? Like, what do you have to be happy about? And the answer to the question is it's not a what. It's not a what for any of us. Like you are only, as we've said, as happy as your unhappiest child. You are only as happy as your unhappiest spouse. Hopefully you only have one, but I'm, you, know, you get my point. Like if they're unhappy, you are unhappy. It's a, it's a relational dynamic. It's always leaning relational. And we said this, like if what you are looking at for happiness and enjoyment, if you lose it when that thing ages or depreciates, you are never happy to begin with. And here's the thing, at the end of your life, just mark it down. Everybody kind of know this, knows this, but we forget about it. You are going to have not possessional regrets at the end of your life. You are gonna have relational regrets at the end of your life. It's always about who. And so the series is Jesus going, I'm inviting you into something better than what you're gonna find on your own. And I'm the ultimate who. I want you to follow me out of maybe where you are and into what I have for you for your future. But you've got to follow me. And by the way, Jesus, would say, to dispel all of the myths that we've taught for years about Jesus wants your, ha- your holiness and not your happiness, Jesus would blow all of that up to go, those two things, guys, are not mutually exclusive. I have created you with the capacity for enjoyment and happiness. And it's not going to be a life of pain-free, problem-free. Jesus promised us the opposite in a sin-infested world. But if you don't think that his invitation when he says life to the full or life that is not ordinarily encountered does not mean enjoyment, does not mean happiness despite the circumstances, then we've gotten it all wrong the entire time. And Jesus would say, maybe not in these words, but my invitation is not follow me, white-knuckle it, and it's going to suck, but you should do it because I'm Jesus. He says, follow me because I've created you for the capacity to experience this and it's only found in following me. So follow me. And here's the thing that we said, and this is what I think we kind of know too, but we lose sight of it, is that happiness and enjoyment of life is always an outcome. You have to sow and reap your way into it. And we know that. Uh, Happiness and enjoyment, like what we're talking about that is not moving all over the place the moment your circumstances change, 
it is not immediately accessible, meaning you are not gonna listen to a message and walk out and go, I'm happy, I've been searching for that my whole life, and everything changes in a moment. Like, we think it does, but it doesn't. Like, a TED Talk's not gonna do it, a message, a podcast, a book, it might be helpful, but it's not going to change what's going on inside of you. Happiness and enjoyment is not immediately accessible. You gotta sow and you gotta reap your way in that direction. But here's the downside to that, is because you have to sow and reap your way in that direction, the payoff, good or bad, is not immediately experienced. Like you don't reap the rewards immediately. You can invest in your kids. You can invest in your marriage. You can sow in the right direction sexually, financially, but there is no immediate payoff to that. And there's no immediate consequences for sowing in the wrong direction, which is terrifying because you can wake up in your late 20s or your 30s and realize that for the last decade, you've been sowing in the wrong direction and it's just now catching up with you. If you don't know where you're sowing and in what direction that you're sowing, you can end up with some regrets in a season and you're going, I'm not happy, I am not fulfilled, I am not experienced peace, but you didn't get there in a moment and you didn't feel the consequences in a moment, but now all of a sudden, seven years later or 12 years later, you are in a place and you've sown in a direction that ultimately you don't wanna be and Jesus didn't wanna lead you into. And here's what we do when that happens. Like when we wake up and we see ourselves in a place that we didn't want to be and we're like, how did I end up here? We immediately look to the immediate vicinity around us. Like if I hadn't married crazy, I wouldn't be here. If, if, I, hadn't, if I had said no to him and trusted my judgment, if my kids would get their crap together because they're out of control, if my job wasn't what my job is, and we immediately look to what's going on around us and we think it's him, it's her, it's my job, it's my career, it's my mother-in-law, and Jesus would go, no, 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 you have, your mother-in-law is a big deal, you gotta deal with that issue, but you have, for you, I'm not talking to my mother-in-law who may be podcasting, who I love very, very much, but you, you've sown and reaped your way into the destination, into the place that you're now currently at. And, and here's the thing about it that, that honestly you know on the flip side is people that are in a place of enjoyment or they've experienced some level of happiness, it's not because of their circumstances. It's not because it's an illusion Well, they just had a wrinkle-free life and everything went great. Somehow they've, they've found a way to move beyond those circumstances and some of the things that have gone on that they wish hadn't gone on. And they've somehow grabbed a hold of enjoyment and happiness that I think is only available as you follow Jesus into this. And the thing that I want you to get before we leave the series next week is this, and Jesus makes this so clear. Nobody has control over your happiness and your enjoyment in life. Not your ex, not your mother-in-law, not the economy, not your circumstances. At the end of the day, all of those things are real, but you have the choice of who you're gonna hand your happiness off to. And some of you gave it to your ex a long time ago and you're waiting for them to respond. And until then, you're just going, tell me when I can be happy. Or you're waiting for somehow something to happen with that circumstance. And until then, you've handed off your happiness and enjoyment to that circumstance. And you're going, when this changes, I'm gonna be okay. Okay, and Jesus steps in to go, there is a way to find this outside of your circumstances and outside of your ex and outside of what they've done to you. And you do not have to hand off your happiness to anybody. And for some of you, when we get to the end of this series, your declaration needs to be, I'm taking it back. I'm not giving it to them any longer. I'm not letting them sit with it any longer. I'm taking it back. And so Jesus says, I, I want you I want you to follow me into this. 
but you got to sow and reap your way in this direction. Now, here's the thing. There's no place that this applies more than in the area of money. The things that Jesus teaches about more than any other things in all the New Testament are sex and money. If you were to go to our counseling staff, and they wouldn't tell you, but if they would tell you, because it's all confidential, but if they would talk to you, they would tell you that most of the issues that you deal with have spider webs that go back to those two issues in some way, shape, or form. I mean, probably 90% deals with the issues of sex and money. They're the issues, the things, the topics Jesus taught about more than any other topics. And guess what? They're the two topics that are most ignored in all of Jesus' teachings. And this doesn't apply in any other area, maybe more than it does with money other than sex. And so here's the question to get our minds wrapped around this. And, and chill, man, just breathe. Like anytime, like literally the word is even mentioned, you think I'm gonna take your credit card or an offering at the end of the service. This is not about that. This is about in the context of Jesus going, okay, in this area, relax, bro, I have something for you that connects to your enjoyment and happiness. And so you can listen without any obligation to do any of it. A lot of you do that every single week. So, like, that's that you're off the hook. So, here's the question I want to ask you, and Sal, I need you to play too. Do you look back at circumstances in your life and now in hindsight go, I thought that that was going to make me happy? As you look back at a circumstance, a decision, this thing you pursued, I thought in a later season that was going to lead to enjoyment. Anybody been there before? Are you just going to leave me up here? It's way more than 7%, I guarantee you. You're looking back, north and south. Like there, there's this thing where I, I, if I could go back and do it again, I was so sure in the moment that was gonna lead to my happiness, which leads you first to this conclusion. You should not believe everything that you think. Right? You shouldn't believe everything that you think. Like we said this week one, public enemy number one for your life and for my life is me. Nobody lies to me and convinces me of stupid stuff more than I do. And I create great arguments and spreadsheets and I list it out. And by the end of it, I'm like, this is an amazing decision leading me right in front of a train. But I have so many reasons of why it is a good decision. You know what I'm talking about? You have an endless capacity to lie to you. It's the Garden of Eden all over again. Adam and Eve in the garden, Jesus um, this is going to be confusing theologically, so let me just say God is theophany. In the, okay, God in the Garden of Eden basically creates one rule, and he says, I'm creating this one rule so that you would understand that submission to God is a good thing because I want you to trust me. That's the whole reason. And then Adam and Eve did what we do. They immediately think, despite all of the evidence to the contrary of God just created a perfect garden and animals and sex and enjoy this, work it, like, do, just do, I didn't mean in that context, but like, <laughs> that's fine. You can take it in that context and it does work, but, but like, enjoy all of this. And then Adam and Eve did what? They're like, I think God's holding out on us. I, I think that there's more. And so we are going to begin to def define what we think is going to make us happy and what ultimately is going to fulfill us only to lead them into a train wreck decision that busted up all of humanity by sin entering the world. But in the moment, they thought, we know what's going to make us happy. And we have all been in moments where we think, we know right now what is going to make us happy. And now we look back to go, what was I thinking? Do not believe everything 
everything that you think. And this applies in no more real way than in the area of money. And here's what we think. That at some level, my happiness and, and my enjoyment of life is connected to my money. And then somebody like me stands on a stage and you talk about this and they're like, hey, money does not lead to happiness. Money does not lead, there's no connection between money and happiness. And we might, uh, we might affirm in our, like, in our outward, like I'm nodding, whatever, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And none of us believe that. In fact, your internal response is, try me. Right? Like, that's what we think. Try me. Give me that test and let me see if money doesn't at some level lead to my enjoyment and my happiness. And the pushback is, I just don't know if that's true. So here's what I want to tell you, and I want to be as honest as I possibly can. There is a connection and a correlation between your happiness, your enjoyment in life, and your money. But it's not around what you think. It's not around, and here's what we think. It's this word right here. We think it's around more. And all of us kind of internally, whether we've ever thought about it before, we have a benchmark. So let me ask you a couple questions real quick because I just want to lead you somewhere. How much more money would you need to enjoy life and be happy? Now, I mean, for real, just think about it for a second. And for some of you, you have like a real, and it's not even like a numerical value, but if I could just get to this point and you have a picture in your mind, but like, what, what would it take? How much more, what would you need? What would that promotion look like where you just say, you know what, right now it's just tight, it's hard. I would enjoy life more. I think that I would be happier if I could get to this place. How much more money would you need to make you happy, to enjoy life? And here's the thing that you will find with people who found a way, despite their circumstances, to at some level enjoy life, at some level experience happiness, they have one thing in common, all of them. And it's this emotion right here, peace. And we've talked about this some. They're at, if they're a follower of Jesus, they're at peace with God at some level. And not that God's gone anywhere, but when you're following Jesus, there's connection with God to go, okay, listen, I, I wanna just submit my life to you. There's, there's just peace there. And then even, not more than that, but maybe equally as important, there is peace with you. Like you are okay with you. You're all right internally with who you are. And then in a lot of cases, as much as possible, it leads with, to peace with other people around you. But every person who's characterized by enjoyment or happiness in life, they all have that one thing in common. They all have peace. So let me ask the question this way. How much more money would it take to give you peace? Like how, mu how much more? Like my, my kids are out of control, but I got a raise and I'm feeling okay. Like, what would it take? My, like, what, to, to give you the peace that you're after? Like, like, you're in a place where literally my marriage is a dumpster fire. It is out of control, but I got a promotion. Whew. That's probably gonna pay for the alimony when this marriage ends. Like what, what, like, what would it take, for real? What would it take? What's the benchmark? How much money to get you to a place where you're like, I I'm at peace. And here's what I know. I didn't read your emails. I didn't go home with you. I don't know your life. But I know the answer is the same for all of us. The answer to how much more do I need to enjoy or to be at peace is a little bit more than you currently have. Always. It's a little bit more across socioeconomic status, whether you're 30,000 or 330,000, it's a little bit more than you currently have. And if you're in your 20s or your 30s, you do not believe me. And I guarantee you, a lot of you in your 40s and your 50s, you wish that you had believed that that was true and that the correlation is not around more. And here's how we convince ourselves of this, because literally we will do things and acquire things and date 
things and people, and we'll think that's going to be the thing that's ultimately going to make me okay. And we get there, and we are severely disappointed, and you would think, okay, end of pursuit, try something else. And we don't. And we keep lying to ourselves. And the, the lie that is so insidious that we tell ourselves is, okay, why would we not just get a clue that it didn't work? But here's what we continue to tease out is, no, I know it didn't work, but more of what didn't just work will work. And then we get there and we think that didn't work, but a little bit more of what just didn't work is going to work. And we end up in this pursuit that never ends, whether it's sex, whether it's you're in your 20s and you're in this culture of hit it and quit it and eventually you're going to be okay, you're going to be satisfied, you're going to move on and somehow it doesn't happen for you. Well, if I just lease another one, if we just take another one, I mean, whatever it is, but the target constantly moves and what, what didn't work initially, you think, well, just a little bit more of that ultimately is going to work. And Jesus says, it, it's not. There is a correlation between your money, your enjoyment, and your happiness, but it is not around more. Like, here's what I know. You know people with more money than maybe you're ever going to make, and they're not enjoying life, and they're not happy. And then reverse side for some of you, South Campus, on the reverse side, for some of you, you know people that have way less than you, and they're way more happy than you. And they seem to be enjoying life a lot more than you. And it's, nothing's perfect, nothing's wrinkle-free, but their family seems to kind of get along and want to be around each other. Their marriage is somewhat healthy. Like you're going on vacation and you can't understand why your kids who are teenagers now don't want to go with you to the Caribbean and they want to go to some ghetto vacation with their neighbors to a KOA campground. You're like, what's the deal? Because, because happiness and enjoyment is way more about who than it is about what. And you know people with way less and they, they, they enjoy life and they're way happier than maybe you are in this moment. And here's kind of my frustration with this message is I bet by the end of this, what I'm going to unpack that Jesus says, most of us will agree with it. And man, the thing that I'm just like wrestling with and been praying that God would do in our midst and people in the room and those way outside of the room is somehow he would move it from our head to our heart. Because I'm telling you, the moment that happens... What Jesus talks about, it would begin to do something as you sow and reap in a different direction than maybe you currently are toward your enjoyment and toward your future happiness. And maybe more than that, those of you with kids, you will begin to model something for your kids in this connection that Jesus unpacks that may change everything in terms of the trajectory of their future. So the correlation isn't around more. The correlation is around this word right here, managed. Like, it is not, Jesus teaches, how much you have. It is how you manage what you have, regardless of your status, that ultimately leads to understanding and determining your enjoyment and your happiness. Like, your money can contribute to your happiness in the future, but it hinges on your management of it. And Jesus talks about this over and over and over again. Like, here's the thing, and you know this. Anything that undermines your peace ultimately is going to undermine and sabotage your enjoyment of life. True? South Camp is true. Anything that undermines your ultimate peace is going to undermine your enjoyment of life. And so when you mismanage your money, you undermine your peace, regardless of how much money you have. And it's why Jesus says, listen, if you don't learn to manage your money well, and there's a deeper reason that he's going to unpack. But when you don't learn to manage your money well, ultimately your money is going to manage you. And if your money is managing you, you do not have peace. 
Because any area of your life, not just money, where you feel out of control, you lose peace. And when you lose peace and you feel out of control, what does it do? It creates anxiety. You become overrun with anxiety. And so when you're not managing well what God's placed in your hand, you feel out of control and then you feel anxiety and then you start to reach for things so you can feel better that undermines your peace for the future and the vicious cycle continues. And all of a sudden you don't have enjoyment, you don't have happiness. And it's why Jesus who is brilliant stands into this to go, I know it's countercultural and nobody's really gonna listen to me, but follow me out of this and begin to sow in a different direction direction because you are inadvertently undermining your own happiness for the next decade. And so Jesus says this to the polite golf claps at the end of that point. Jesus says this, and, and you think he's going one direction, then he takes a hard right. And many of you have heard this, even if you haven't been around the church, in Luke 16, 13, Luke records it, and he says, if you don't have the CC app, you should download that. You can see it on the screen. But that's a great place to follow along. He says, no one can serve two, what? Masters. And for most of us, we're like, well, we're in the first century. We don't have masters. There's no, like, slave-subject relationship. And then you get a credit card, and you're like, uh. No one can serve two masters either. You're going to hate the one, and you're going to love the other one, two huge extremes. Or you're going to be, and this is a huge word, devoted to the one and despise the other one. And by the way, this just gives you some clarity and insight around feelings that sometimes people get in situations they don't understand. Anytime there is a relationship of exclusivity, when you go outside of the design of that exclusivity, you begin to feel the dynamic of these emotions. Same is true in marriage. Because God designed you. And so what happens, and I can't tell you how many people I've sat with like this, where somebody is really in the wrong, where they pursue an affair, they go outside of the marriage. It's, it wasn't even a result of what's going on. They just got caught up in something. They were unwise. They were lingering at that cubicle too long until something came out of it. And all of a sudden, they start pursuing this affair, and they begin to literally hate and despise the person they're married to, even though they had nothing to do with the decisions that they made. Because relationships of exclusivity, when you take them out of context, you will be devoted to one thing and you will start to hate and despise the other thing. It's why some of you feel what you feel right now. It wasn't designed to work that way. And the same is true of your money. And God's going, you just need to know, it is an issue of exclusivity. I am not after your money. But listen, you can only be devoted to one thing and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both what? God, South Campus, God, and what? And money. And come on, th think about this, because some of you know the end of the verse, which sometimes is unfortunate. But you would think if you are finishing the verse, he'd say, like, you can't serve the devil and God. You can't serve evil and God. But money? Like, why, why you put that in there? And the Greek word is literally mam, and you probably heard that before, which, which it includes money, but it's bigger than money. He's like, this isn't just like the money you got right now. This is like the money you want to get in the future. This is what you're acquiring right now, the stuff you have right now, the stuff you want to get in the future, the stuff you want to lease in the future, the stuff you want to buy off of Amazon in the future. It characterizes what you have, what you want, what you're trying to get. All of it is kind of in one bucket. And he's like, you can't serve God and your stuff. And Jesus is so brilliant. Can we just say this? Because here's what Jesus knows, and this is the issue. The number one competitor for your heart is your stuff. The number one competitor for your heart 
is your stuff. It is about trust in a relationship determined by what you're devoted to. And Jesus is going, listen, your relationship is not any better than the level of trust with your kids, with your employees, with your boss, in your marriage. Relationships are built on trust. Relationships are built on devotion. Your relationship is only as good as the trust. And Jesus is like, my issue is I want your devotion that ultimately precedes your trust because I want relationship with you. That's what I'm all about. And the chief competitor for that devotion and that trust is your stuff. Now, here's the thing. Like, let's just say this because we think all this weird stuff about the God of the universe. He does not need your stuff. Jesus doesn't teach money management in the New Testament so he can get more from you. He is the reigning creator of the universe. He made stuff and then he made raw materials to make the stuff. He didn't need to go get it anywhere. He just made it to make what he needed to make and he's over all of it. Like, I always find it crazy that my kids, I try to teach as best I can because I know financially what they learn to do in this area is going to follow them, and it's going to be a huge part of the trajectory of their life in terms of their future enjoyment and happiness. So as best I can at their level, at their age, I try to teach them about give and save, and then you can do whatever you want with the rest of it. And the thing is, like, if you would apply that same standard to God, like when I teach my kids to do that, it's not because I need my kids' money. I gave them the money. It was maybe disguised as a tooth fairy, but if I need it back, I'll just go get it. I mean, I can still physically take them at this season in their life. That's not always going to be the case. Or I'll just lie about the tooth fairy. Like, either way, I just get it. Hey, tooth fairy's going through a recessional period. It needs a bailout. Like, we got to take that money back, right? Like, you, you don't need, you can just go get the money. Don't ever confuse the supply with the source, and we're looking at the supply and we forget the source. It's why with my kids, I constantly want to teach them, hey, don't lose sight of the source. That's why, honestly, like with the tooth fairy or even hopefully your kids aren't in here or at this age, but like I don't have any theological issues with Santa, but we don't really do Santa. And really, they know that the tooth fairy is me because I don't want them to confuse the supply with the source. I gave you that money just so you know. And on Christmas morning, I'm not sharing any credit or any gratitude or any thankfulness for a guy who has not paid an electric bill. He has done nothing in our home. He has not changed one diaper. I haven't changed many, but your mom has. You should be grateful to her. Like he hasn't done any of that stuff. And so Christmas morning, I'm not sharing credit. The reason you have what you have is because we bought it and we put it there and we're not sharing credit with anybody. Do not confuse the supply with the source. I want your Thanksgiving to come right here to me. It's the same thing, and this is way off topic, but same thing with like meals. Like my kids, we try to teach them to be thankful. So after mom finishes like making a meal, they all say thank you. It's like a requirement. But then they get confused because we go out somewhere to eat and they start thanking the waiter. I mean, no, no, thank your mom at home for making that meal. I mean, maybe thank the waiter for the good service, but do not be deceived. You need to thank me right now because... You're being confused by where the supply, what it's being delivered through, but do not forget the source. And you are here and you're clothed and you're eating because I'm doing it for you and I need to get all of the credit. I mean, right or wrong, you just need to know, can I get a witness from any parent at either of the campuses? Like, 
Do not confuse the source with the supply. And so Jesus is like, I do not need your stuff. How ridiculous. What I do want, if you will give it to me, is your heart. And the number one competitor for your heart and your devotion and your affection is your stuff. And I know you're like, well, I don't love money and I'm not devoted to my stuff. And Jesus is like, hold up. And he says this. No one can serve two masters either. They're going to hate the one and they're going to love the other one. And again, you're like, well, I don't, I don't love stuff. And Jesus is like, shh, not done yet. Either you're going to hate the one, you're going to love the other, or you're going to be, you're going to be what? South Campus, can I hear you? You're going to be what? You're like, well, what, what is, like, what do you mean by love stuff? Jesus is like, I mean devoted to your stuff. That's what I'm talking about. And you can't be devoted to your stuff. You're going to hate the one, love the other. You're going to be devoted to the one, and you're going to despise the other. And so really the definition of devoted, what he's talking about, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't love my stuff. Devoted means a strong attachment to. Oh, crap. Like, devoted means a lot of energy to pursue. Eye on, I think here's the, here's the, the primary decision-making filter for your life. Jesus is like, this may be really uncomfortable, but I'm Jesus. This may be very uncomfortable, but, but here's the reality. You, you may be pretty devoted to your stuff and your desire to acquire stuff, and you're never going to bow down to it. That's not what I'm talking about, Jesus would say. But if you were to measure devotion, like you measure devotion to anything else in your world, devotion to family, devotion to career, devotion to your team, I mean, whatever it is that you get so passionate about, if you were to measure devotion to your stuff, the same way you measure devotion to anything else in life. Jesus is like, you might come to the conclusion that you are at least pretty devoted to your stuff and the acquisition of your stuff. Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. So let me ask you a couple of questions. A couple of these are really stupid, but I'm, I'm teasing it out and I wanna, I wanna lead you somewhere. So they're obvious, but has your desire to acquire something ever caused you to do something? Yeah, thank you. I'm just waiting to see if anybody else wants to participate. Um, as you, you can talk back, all right? I know, like, money messages are the quietest messages in the world. Like, nobody, nobody wants to shout me down on those messages, but you can talk back. Um, your desire to acquire, has it ever caused you to do something? Like, you, you felt a desire, and then you did something. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, because I just would love participation, because I want to know that you're with me in the house, because it is so quiet here at North Campus. Has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something? Has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something stupid? Okay, thank you. And I'm not saying like you stupid, there's no comma. Has it ever, has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something not stupid, but like dumb? Have you ever done done anything dumb? And the answer to that question is yes. That that over time, you look back and and go like, what, what was I thinking? Like, I don't know why I did that. We had one, but we needed another one. It was working fine, but we leased a new one. We had enough of those, but we just wanted to upgrade. Like, what, what in the world was I thinking? Why did we take that on? Why did we decide to pursue that? And then the third question is just this. Has your desire to acquire ever caused you to do something that you regret? Yeah, for every single one of us. And basically what Jesus is saying is your desire for in that moment led to devotion to. And your devotion to your desire for stuff, to get stuff, to accumulate more, and in some cases to try to satisfy 
a craving or an appetite that ultimately is never gonna be satisfied. In that moment, when you made a decision based off of those emotions, Jesus is like, you were mastered. You were enslaved. You were imprisoned by that moment. And I'm telling you, Jesus is smarter than you think. And he knew that the chief competitor for my heart and your heart was the desire to acquire, which ultimately will enslave you. And when you are enslaved and mastered by anything in your life, you do not have enjoyment and you do not have happiness. And come on, isn't this true? You already knew all that. It's the same as last week. You don't need somebody to get on a stage and tell you that. All of us know that. And do you know what the thing is that begins to lead us down this, this road, down this pathway? It's this huge word right here, discontentment. It's discontentment that ultimately ensures I'm never gonna be satisfied with what I have because I know what you have and I know what there is to have. And here's the thing. I think in our culture, it's not that necessarily we've gotten worse or our hearts are worse or we're just we're the most consumeristic culture in the world. It is we are more aware than we have ever been in history. And awareness of creates discontentment with. The more aware you are, in many cases, the more discontent you ultimately come. And discontentment is the fuel for all of this. And come on, isn't this crazy? Like we cannot know something exists in one moment and 60 seconds later, we're like, I gotta have that. You know what I'm talking about? You didn't even know it was around. You didn't even know it had been invented 60 seconds ago. And now 60 seconds later, you're like, I gotta get this. Like, it's crazy. So this is, a, this is such a dumb example, but it is a real life example for me. And I talked about this a year and a half ago. And I feel like I need to come back around to it because some of you still think I'm not serious and I am. It just got put on hold. But um, we were in the office one day, about a year and a half ago, and all of our staff, they, I don't know how this subject came up, but they started talking about goats and immediately I'm like, I gotta get one of them. <laughs> like for real, like, I, like a intense, like, and it's not that I didn't know that they existed because obviously I knew that, that they existed. I didn't know little Nigerian dwarf goats existed. And I did not know that you could milk them. Like, do you know that? Do you, do you understand? Okay, I didn't know that. But like, they're like this big and those, they're amazing. Oh, in all my research, and it has been significant, like they're amazing with kids and you can, along with cats, apparently, according to Robert De Niro, you can milk goats, which I never knew in my life. And so immediately I did not know little goats milked and they're amazing with kids. And I just like, there was insatiable. I know it's crazy, but this is real life. I wanted to get those goats right away. I didn't even know those kind of goats existed the moment before that. And this will tell you a little bit about our home and our marriage that it's, you know, it's healthy, but um, is my wife immediately went out in order to sabotage my acquisition of goats, immediately went out and got a cat that she did not ask me, you know, didn't talk about at all. We're not cat people. I, I've spent years making fun of cat people and cats from stage. So she goes and gets a cat, brings it home. And so, it, and, and she thought that was gonna squelch the whole, you know, goat like thing and me wanting to get a goat and it didn't. And the thing is, when she brought a cat home, like that was another level because we're not gonna be single cat people. Like we're not, and I love you, but we're not gonna be people who just have a cat in the house. 
Like, that's not okay. Like, if you're going to be a cat, there has to be another reputable animal with the cat to balance out the cat in the home, right? So I immediately, same week, went out and found a dog that I had been wanting that hadn't told her about from a breeder in Ocala and brought it back to our home. And so literally, in five days, we went from three kids, no pets, to three kids and two little pets that started to take over our world because two can play at that game. But my whole point in all of this is this. I'm still getting the goats. There's like We live in a residential area, but I've looked it up. You can house goats on our property and nobody's going to know about it if we do it right. So my point is just this. This is a legit true story. And one day I'm coming back in the coming months and there will be pictures of my goats up here and it's going to be amazing. But I was sitting in this thing. and I know I don't look like a goat guy, but I was sitting at the table. And I'm like, I've got to have these things, which is crazy, but it's, I'm legitimately it's true. And you have your own story that's less weird than mine, of like, I saw it, I didn't know it existed, and now I want it, and my point is awareness of leads to this discontentment with that all of us suffer with, and then here's the thing behind it that's super uncomfortable to talk about, it's fueled by greed. It's always fueled by greed, and the best definition I've ever heard of greed is this, is it's the assumption that it's all for my consumption, that everything that I get is mine, which means when you live your life like that, anytime you give anything away, you think you're amazing. Like, can you believe I gave $20 to them? Because you're living under the assumption, well, it was all mine. Everything that comes to me is for me. And when you live under the assumption that everything that comes to me is for me, most of it is used up on you, for you. And, and ultimately at the root, Jesus is like, I know this is impossible to see in the mirror. Nobody admits they're greedy. Nobody thinks they're greedy because you give stuff away. But come on, you as in terms of a mindset, you live as if everything that you get is yours. And here's what you need to know. Lean in, because if you don't get anything else, this may be what you came for, is that, that greed is an appetite. It's the same as lust. Lust, sexuality is an appetite. And the more you feed an appetite, the more it grows. It's the nature of appetite. Some of you are struggling with lust, man or woman. You're struggling with borderline porn addiction or you've been in one for a while and you're trying to kind of unwind your way out of it by I'm gonna cut back, I'm gonna manage, I'm not gonna do this as much. And what you find is it's not working because you can't manage and cut back on an appetite. Anytime you feed it, no matter how much you feed it, when you feed it, that appetite grows and your lust just gets bigger. And what satisfied it before doesn't satisfy it anymore. It's the nature of appetite. And the same is true with the appetite of greed. The more you feed the appetite of greed, the more it grows. And here's the insidious part of it is that, that when the appetite grows, you won't stop when the money runs out. Because that's what an appetite does to you. And that leads to the third thing, which ultimately is debt. Awareness and greed leads you here. And, and here's the, the bottom line, maybe if you don't, you don't remember anything else about this, is that wanting something is ultimately better than owing something. Like, let's just real street level, let's just be real practical. Can everybody say this with me real quick? This is all together, like all skate. Like, I'm, I'll say it, then you say it, okay? Wanting something is better than owing something. Okay, and listen, South Campus, isn't this true? There's a tension either way. There's a tension to be managed that's not going to be solved, meaning if you want something, and, and ultimately it's not bad to want something, but when you want something, there's a tension that I want it, but I don't have it, right? But there's also a tension on the other side when you are led down this awareness, discontentment, greed that leads to debt, where now you have it, but you owe. That's a different kind of tension. 
And here's my point, and this is what Jesus would say. It is better to want and not have than to have and owe. Because ultimately it is undermining your future because debt is when you become a slave to your desire and your appetite has grown and then the money ran out, but your appetite did not run out. And so now your devotion to your desire has led you into slavery because you can't say no when you need to say no. And when you are a slave to anything, you don't have enjoyment and you are not happy. And Jesus is like, that's what I'm after. That's what I want. I could care less about your money. What I care about is your heart and your devotion and your desires and the fact, come on, would you believe me? I'm inviting you into life to the full and all of us at an intellectual level would go, that is not life and that is not enjoyment. But Jesus is like, that's ultimately where it's going to lead you. And come on, wanting something, that's between you and God. God can give and God can take away and, and God may have some of that for your future, but it, it, that's between you and God. When you owe something, that's between you and a creditor. And God always sides with the creditor. Not because, like he, but because if you're specifically a follower of Jesus, that's, I, I can't tell you how to live your life if you're not a follower of Jesus. I can't tell anybody, but Jesus just says, this is the way forward. Like you, you pay what you owe. And so Jesus says, listen, I, I want you to follow me into this. Every year, my simple, like, uncomplicated financial goal is stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. Hey, what's one thing you want to accomplish this year? Well, I hope Bitcoin takes off. But besides that, stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. And Jesus is like, listen, this, this is what ultimately I want for your life. And isn't it true, and this is so weird, is that you get older and maybe you make more than you used to and that the more you make and the older you get, the more you're tempted to go into debt? Explain that to a third world country. And Jesus is like, listen, don't trade your happiness and trade your peace for an acquisition that cannot give you either of those. And that in many cases actually undermines it. And so discontentment, greed, and debt, and here's the question. This is, so, this is a stupid question. Which one of those leads you to enjoyment of life and happiness? None of them. Like not a single one of them is leading you down that road. And here's really the application. I think this is what Jesus would say. Stop. Just stop. Stop. But, but literally, Jesus' invitation is, listen, I want you, and this is, this is the whole deal, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to allow me to be in control. I want you to allow me to manage you rather than your money managing you. And when you begin to do that, when you begin to follow me, even if you don't feel it, because you don't need to feel it to do it, your feelings, as we've already proven, lie to you. What you think lies to you. Do it anyway, the feeling will follow. Love in your relationship anyway, you'll start to feel love. It's not based on an emotion, it's based on an activity that goes, I'm gonna surrender and submit anyway because the God of the universe has given me enough proof. He's for me, what he has is good. And so I don't need to feel the emotion. The emotion is gonna follow. I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna go that direction anyway. And God will begin to open the door and do something in your heart where he starts to re redirect the misplaced devotions inside of you and lead you to a better way. And so he'd say to all of you today, I want to have control of your stuff because I want your heart, follow me. And, and come on, what amount of money is gonna rid discontentment in your life? What amount of money is gonna rid the feeling of greed? Don't call it greed, I know that trips you up. The Assumption that it's all for me. 
The answer to that question is there, there's no amount of money. The only thing that can address this is the management of, not the amount. It is about who is in control. And so Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Meaning there's a way to submit your world to God where you're not being managed. You're allowing the God of the universe as you surrender to him to direct and lead your life and to replace your misplaced devotion with something that is way better. And here's the thing, isn't this true that you'll find out? Is that as you meet people that at some level, despite their circumstances, because they've gone through stuff and stuff has hit the fan like all of us, that they found a way around and through those circumstances that, that obviously they wouldn't wish for and they're at a place where they, they genuinely are experiencing happiness. There's an enjoyment of life in spite of and what characterizes all of those people? Just go mark it down, have conversations. Two words characterize those people, generosity and wisdom. If you wanna know what you're sowing toward the future, if you wanna know how to get there, the two words that Jesus teaches over and over again that you'll find from those people that you talk to is generosity and wisdom. And when you contrast that to discontentment and greed and debt, like there's no comparison. It's why throughout the New Testament, Jesus teaches this, and, and I'm gonna be done, but you need, to, you need to be generous. You need to give, you need to save, and you need to live on the rest. You need to give. This is just practical. I love what Jesus constantly chops up in the New Testament. I'm just gonna give it to you really straight and really clear if you wanna know what to do. And it's not about the doing, it's about what the doing changes because you will begin to counteract the appetites that you cannot quiet and cannot control. When you begin to give when you don't feel it, it starts to starve out an appetite that begins to die and God begins to replace it with different appetites. You need to give, you need to save, you need to live on the rest. And come on, you don't have to do any of it, but just listen to me and maybe you'll come back to it in about a decade. But when you give, it always results in joy. And not the illusion of giving where I'm moved by a need and I give. I'm talking about the regular rhythm of your life where every bit that I get, I'm giving some of it away because I'm not confusing the supply with the source. I didn't create it. I didn't manufacture it. My intellect, I may think, got me here. My ingenuity, my entrepreneurship, it could all be taken away tomorrow. He puts it in my hand. He takes it out of my hand. It is all his, and I'm not confusing the source with the supply. And so I, because I'm not confusing the source with the supply, I am recognizing and I'm moving my heart to understand every dollar I get in, some of it is going back because I want to experience a life of enjoyment. And as long as you are living under the consumption assumption, it is going to lead you to a place where it will steal your happiness for the future. But when you give, it results in joy. And some of you know this, when you save, and it doesn't matter at what level or what economic status, 30,000 or 330,000, it leads to peace of mind which leads you to a place to not feel out of control no matter how much money you make, which leads you to a place where you don't feel the same anxiety connected with that. And that's how you define enjoyment. That's how you define peace. And then living on the rest ultimately results in freedom. Throughout the Old and New Testament, it talks about the fact that when you, when you live within the means that have been given to you, ultimately, at the end of that, what you're gonna feel is freedom. And I said this last week, but everything that Jesus is inviting us into is an invitation toward freedom. Handle sex my way, I wanna free you. Handle priorities of your life my way, I wanna free you. Handle your money, Jesus would say, my way, because ultimately, I wanna free you. And come on, here's how I kind of think about it. 
I would rather enjoy what God's given me and what God's placed in my hand and whatever he wants to do with that in the future and just steward that, that well and never confuse the source with the supply. I would rather steward, steward that well in all that comes with trusting and follow Jesus. I would rather do that and have that than your vacation and your car and your bank account without any happiness and without any enjoyment and without any peace. And so Jesus says, I'm inviting you into this, and it's not your circumstances that need to change. You don't need to change your circumstances. You need to change your heart. And so if you're at a place of, I wish I had more, and I can't see, and I don't know what the future is going to look like, or maybe you have a lot more, and you thought that was going to lead you to a place of peace, and the zeros have accumulated, but your peace has not. Jesus is going, because you're not going to find it in more. You're going to find it in the management of, I place in your hand. I take it back out. I want you to manage this in a way that follows me into a place of trusting me, of surrendering your desires to me. so that I can have your heart because our relationship with one another is only as good as our trust. It's only as good as your devotion. And so follow me, surrender this area that is the chief competitor for your heart. And you don't have to wait for your circumstances. You don't have to wait for the promotion. You don't have to wait for something to work out in court with your ex. You can take what God has given you right now. And Jesus says, you can begin to follow me and I will do more with less than you're ever gonna do with more walking outside of the will of God for your life. So follow me. And last thing, and we gotta be done. I went longer in this message because I, I literally just realized as I was up here, I skipped like a whole page of my notes at the 9 a.m. So I hope that message made sense. But here's the question I got for you. Imagine if you'd done this for the last 20 years, 10 years, Maybe for you it's five years. Imagine if you had followed Jesus into this. Imagine if you didn't just feel something, intend to do something and believe something right now, which a lot of us are guilty of, but we actually went out and did something, submitting to what Jesus is calling us to. Imagine what would happen as we go, Jesus, I'm just, I'm just gonna follow you into this and I'm gonna realize the thing that I get hung up on, it's not the thing at all. It's my relationship with you. It's what you want from my life. And, and over time, as I begin to follow you, you're gonna replace my appetites with better appetites. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord. Huge kind of spiritual language. So let's just put it down at our level. What that means is when you decide to go yes to Jesus, I'm gonna follow you with what you said about all of these areas of my life. That's what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. And then the second part of that verse is literal Greek translation. He'll give you the desires of your heart, but the literal Greek translation is he will transform the desires of your heart. That Jesus did not condescend into human flesh, as I've said before, to suppress your desires. He came to say to you in love, your desires are wrong and they're sabotaging your future. And so as you delight yourself in me, I'm gonna give you new ones. And those desires are gonna link up with the rhythm of Genesis chapter one and how I created your world and your life to work. And it's gonna lead to far greater enjoyment and happiness than you're ever gonna find living according to this old way that's still hanging out in the garden of Eden, eating from the tree only to be severely disappointed later. And so follow me, delight in me, do this because I've told you to do it and I died for you and you can trust me. And when you do, I'm gonna transform the desires of your heart and old appetites are 
are going to start to die and new ones are going to be birthed. And I'm telling you, those appetites are going to lead you into peace and into freedom and into life and into enjoyment. I said it this way in the New Testament, life to the full, life that is not ordinarily encountered. And so Jesus would say to us today, your best option is to say yes to your heavenly father. I may not feel it, but I'm gonna follow you anyway. And he'll do everything that he said he would do. And so would you stand with me at both locations right now? And, and if, if you're able to stay put where you're at as much as possible, we don't do church, we, we gather together and where a few people are gathered together within the context of this thing, this movement, this thing called an ecclesia, God moves and works in a way that you, you will not find anywhere else. And so in this moment, God is working not at the area of our money, that's just the symptom. That's just the fruit problem. The root problem is our devotion and our desires. And so all over the house, would you just bow with me, both locations, I wanna invite you if you're listening on radio, if you're podcasting or live streaming right now, because God has a word for you in this moment and he's inviting you into something and you have the choice of whether you're going to submit and surrender to that while, while you ex are experiencing it and feeling it or if you are gonna settle for I intend to, I should work on, I believe that, but not actually saying yes to what Jesus is asking you to pursue and to change right now in this moment. And so God, I pray over the individuals in these various places way outside of these buildings and those that are in the house right now in this moment. I pray that more than anything else, this would be the moment where they get the overwhelming sense of your reckless and scandalous loves that shouts through the ages that I'm for you. And so follow me into freedom. And we have been so hung up thinking that the God of the universe is trying to take something from our hands without realizing that he put it there in the first place. And he can multiply it in ways that we could never imagine to do immeasurably more than we're even thinking in this moment. You think way more about our future happiness than we do. And some of us have settled. Some of us have allowed ourselves to be so moved by our emotions that, that we've sown in directions that now we wish we could come back to. And so I pray the encouragement was, God, we've sown our way here, but we can sow our way back out. And so right now we would just surrender God, we want you to change our desires where they're misplaced. We want our devotion to move in your direction and we wanna trust you. I pray for the individual who's never embraced you as savior that maybe this would be the moment that God, you, you just move in their heart where they would believe that you've died on the cross for all their sin, that you rose again for them in history and, and by simply transferring their trust from trying to earn their way to God to what God has done for them. The scripture says, whoever believes that, and calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this would be the moment they would initiate a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for others of us, we would walk away and the chief desire of our heart would be, God, we wanna trust you and we wanna surrender whatever is getting in the way of that trust, whatever is competing for our devotion. And so God, do your thing in our house and we pray this in the incredible, powerful name of Jesus. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, 
we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.